it's so important kind of as like a small bootstrapped company that we know our customer through and through and through. They're already understanding that high quality products come at an upcharge because if it didn't, then everything would be high quality. And like, you know, so explaining the choices that you make, transparency is so important, especially when you're a mission driven brand. So your blog is different to your Instagram, to your TikTok, to Twitter, and kind of just making them all really tailored to the customer who is preferring that vertical of of communication. This episode is brought to you by Veros, where I've been a happy user for nearly a year. At Dill Lashes, our digital marketing and Shopify metrics have been fluctuating like crazy. First, I was 14, then the pandemic, then supply chain breakdown, war, and now the economy. I often find myself asking, is it just our cat going up or is everyone else's too? That's why I, along with many other founders in my network, started using Veros. With Veros, I'm able to maximize performance by seeing Facebook, Google, and TikTok metrics like CPMs, CAT, and click-through rates from over 700 other DDC brands in real time. And yes, I've said 700. Every company gets a custom competitive set by vertical, AOV, and spend so you can compare it to an aggregated and anonymized set of companies just like yours. Vero is free for podcast listeners for a limited time. So join now at veros.com. That is V-A-R-O-S to get grandfather into their free plan. Just write Wong at the referral field when you're signing up. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Building Box Podcast Show. Today, I'm joined by Lindsay McComick, who is the founder and CEO of Bite Toothpaste. Welcome. Hey, Jason. Thanks for having me. Are you guys still called Bite Toothpaste? Because I know you guys just came out of the deodorant. Is it just Bite now? Yeah. So we're going by Bite now, which stands for Because It's the Earth. Oh, I didn't even know that was the <laughs> abbreviation. <laughs> was that like initially how it came about or it just... Retrofitted as we've kind of expanded into personal care, we wanted to have something that's more inclusive of like, you know, kind of where we're going in, instead of just uh, where we've been. But we still go by bite toothpaste and bite toothpaste bits. But uh, yeah, because the earth is our future. That's interesting. And I really want to talk to you a little bit more about like the whole rebranding because we're in the same place where we we were dough lashes and now we're trying to be just dough because we're coming out with contact lens. We're coming out with like all these eye products. And so I'll talk to you about that on the side, but today I really want to talk to you about the brand in general, because you guys are in this new category for sustainable products. And it seems like that's been the market direction the past couple of years. You guys have obviously been here for a while now. Uh, I'm quite keen to understand what led you down the path of being a sustainable brand and some of the steps that you took to be a sustainable brand. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, I think the first thing is that when I started Byte back in 2018, um, I started it because I, I've always been super passionate about conservation and the environment, and I wanted to have an option. You know, I, I found out about the billion toothpaste tubes that ended up in our oceans and landfills, and I wanted to be able to kind of solve that problem. Um, I didn't have a background in oral care or business, so I had to learn everything as I went along. Um, but I think, you know, because... I was so passionate about sustainability. Um, that was kind of the, the motivation that really pushed me through uh, to kind of overcome all the obstacles to get here. I love that. And I just felt like there's so many parallels between our stories. I obviously didn't grow up wearing lashes, never touch a pair of lashes until I started making dough. So it's refreshing to meet another founder who <laughs> were like, oh yeah, I didn't come from a dentist background and I started making toothpaste. But it makes sense. Like that number was such a shock to you that you were 
I guess, motivated to say, let's change it, right? Yeah. I mean, so before Byte, I was working as a surf instructor. And so right here in Malibu, and I was noticing over the four years, like every summer out there, more and more plastic washing up on my board. So that was something where it was like, wow, plastic is a problem. And then um, while I was then after working as a surf instructor, I actually got a job as a TV producer with the goal to uh, make nature documentaries that in like conservation documentaries, that was my ultimate kind of like career ambition. Uh, and it was during that when you're when you're producing a TV show, you fly somewhere for just like a few days. So it's always carry on only. And I was going through those little toothpaste tubes and it just felt like a really thick piece of plastic that I was throwing out every single week. Yeah. And, you know, I had everything else that was refillable, my shampoo, my conditioner. I could I could refill those in little bottles, but I couldn't solve the toothpaste problem. And so that was kind of what the the. Like the beginning of everything, and uh, and kind of the the launching board that bite that ended up being bite. I love that, and you know, like a sustainable brand is something that, in my opinion, involves a lot of the lifestyle part of the marketing. Because you know, sustainable is just a word in the entire branding, but there's a lot of things that you have to do to push that messaging forward. What are some of the things that you guys have done to really cement this part of your brand together? So I think something really important, whether any mission-driven brand, right, whether it's sustainability or or any mission, is being able to take these really complex and nuanced um, nuanced information and break it down in a relatable and entertaining way. I think you know um, that's something that I learned in my job in TV before this. You know, kind of wanting to work in documentaries. The most effective the most effective ways to get through to people and to have people understand, you know, what what you're trying to do is by making sure that they are able to like emotionally connect and visualize it. So when we talk about toothpaste tubes, you know, we say the one billion toothpaste tubes, but that's really abstract. So when almost in every time when we explain that, we talk talk about how it equates to 50 empire state buildings worth of plastic every year. And so you're able to say like, oh, here's a visual, like here's visually what they're talking about. And I think it um, it's way more effective that way. So I think, you know, whether you're whatever your message is, being able to break it down into something that's visual, something that's tangible, something that your audience can really understand is just super, super important and something always top of mind for us. I love that. And sustainable product is just a product itself. You know, there's the jar, you reuse it, you get the refills. How do you as a company solve the logistics side of the bigger equation? Because obviously you still need to ship things. You still need to receive things. There's so many other parts of the business that could be, um, I guess, refined to be more sustainable. What are some of the steps that Byte has taken to move towards that direction. I love this. So there's so many things you can do up and down your supply chain. So something that's really important to us and that we uh, educate our customers about is that we only ship through USPS which means USPS is kind of like the public transit of uh, of mailing where it's not, you know, if you ship the, you know, Amazon Prime or, or overnight, you know, you, not even overnight, priority you, um, UPS or mm-hmm. um, any of those other FedEx, whatever, they're actually going a, a determined route to your house, right? They're they're making up the route and it's it's a way higher carbon expenditure as opposed to USPS, which is going by your house every day regardless. So kind of what our packages do, they hitch a ride with USPS. It takes longer. So there's a lot of education that we have to do to explain to our customer why we've made this choice and, you know, things like that. And then we pay to offset the carbon that we can't avoid, 
right? So then we also are paying to offset our carbon through carbonfund.org. There's other things that we've done where, you know, one of the things that was really important to me was to be able to have paper tape. And this was back in 2018 where that was actually really hard to find. And so it was it was getting to the point of working with the our 3PL saying like, you know, we want to give you business, but you have to commit to using paper tape for our products. And so finally we found one that said, okay, fine, we'll, we'll have this one paper tape portal for just your brand. And it ended up being so successful to them because so many other smaller brands wanted to be able to offer that as well, that they put paper tape at all of their uh, portals to, to ship. And so it was one of those things that by taking the time uh, on the front end to really stick to our guns and say, like, this is what we want to do and this is why, um, you know, being able to work with partners that finally, you know, like agreed and then them seeing success and being able to work with new brands as well has really helped, you know, kind of push the whole the whole sustainability factor forward, both like, you know, in front of to our customers and behind the scenes where they're not, you know, where they don't see. I love that you're setting that trend, you know, saying that it's my way or no way and it ended up being the better way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, you know, like some of these like mission driven brands like clean beauty or vegan beauty or, you know, eco-conscious brand. Um, there's a lot of education that's required to do it. Um, it's not saying, hey, we're sustainable and people just know what it is. Um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit more about like in the early days when you first built Bite, some of the challenges that you had and telling people who you are, telling your story and, and really shaping their approach to buying from you and say, okay, this is something that I'm buying that will make a difference. What are some of the things that you have done? Yeah, education is so important because when you're a sustainable brand, a clean beauty brand, whatever you are, you have to pay a premium for that, right? Every single one of us in this space, like it, it, if it was cheaper, everyone would be doing it. So like, obviously you're paying more to do that. So because you have a higher price product, you are going to have to definitely educate your customer as to why you are where you are. And so, you know, what we do is it's, I mean, there's kind of like a, a variety of things that we do. One is we write really long blog posts on exactly why the choices we've made and, and with links to sources and, you know, um, and basically facts and data. So we can, our customers who are interested in that can read it through. And so what happens is that not many people read these blog posts. Honestly, they kind of just sit in, in the back of our website, but the, the customers who do end up being huge advocates and they're the ones that then tell their friends to buy and their friends, friends to buy. And those are really the hub of, you know, the, the word of mouth. And so we really, um, we, we tailor our, uh, communication to them when it comes to the blog. Then when you're looking at something like Instagram, right. Or, or TikTok, people don't want long, you know, 10 page blog posts. It needs to be digestible. It needs to be very, um, to the point. So we are able to take this information that's really like robust that's in our blog and then break it down into multiple different Instagram posts to hopefully, you know, get the message out that way. And so I think what it is, it's understanding, you know, how do you, um, you know, explaining the choices that you make, transparency is so important, especially when you're a mission-driven brand, and then figuring out a way to break that down um, to every vertical where you're speaking to your customer. So your blog is different. It's saying something similar, but in a different way to your Instagram, to your TikTok, to Twitter, and kind of just making them all um, really tailored to the customer who is preferring that vertical of, of communication, if that makes sense, or platform. for What you said about the blog is honestly so so important because we launch like six seven blogs a month and truthfully maybe a few hundred people will read it 
But of the few hundred people that do read it, if they do read it through, they become so much deep, deeply connected with your brand. They're going to be like, hey, I'm going to send this article to my friend who is also very eco-conscious, right? And and that's a, that's a part of blog writing and content marketing that people don't talk about. It's that, yeah, it's not as scalable as paid media, but for the people that goes through the content marketing channels, they become much bigger customers, longer customers, and they're just huge brand advocates. I love that you brought that up because uh, not many people talk about it. Everyone's talking about paid ads. No, I think it's something that's so overlooked. And it's, you know, for like you and me, you're doing all the research anyway, right? When it yeah. comes to writing these blog posts, it's like this was part of our product development process. Like everything when we're, you know, switching over to this ingredient or that, it's all part of our. So it's really just taking the time to gather your thoughts, putting it in like a readable, digestible way and then putting it out there, you know? So it's like you're already doing the work just as the, the business owner, the founder, the CEO. So it's, it's just putting it out there so your customers can be part of the journey with you. I love that. I have a, another question for you, and this is something that I'm also personally struggling with. We're obviously in a space where there's mass-produced products that are, in most people's eyes, equivalent. People will go to Walmart and pick up a tube of toothpaste, and they're like, why would I pay this amount of dollars for a jar versus a tube? People look at us and be like, I can go to CVS and pick a $3 pair of lashes. Why would I pay $14 for yours? What are some of the things that you have done beyond education to really show people that this is worth getting over another? You know, I think it's, I don't necessarily think we, we try to do that. Like, I think that we, what we do as a really small business is understand who our customer is. Right. And so for us, we will, you know, we're a premium product. We're a, a higher, you know, we use premium ingredients, glass, you know, uh, glass packaging, like we're expensive. And so for, for our category. And so if someone is getting a three dollar uh, toothpaste at, at Crest, like uh, at the at like CVS. Like for us, it that's not necessarily our customer, you know. And if we try to go for them, then they like it it's so important kind of as like a small bootstrapped company that we know our customer through and through and through. And like our customer, maybe they, you know, maybe they were using like Tom's or Schmidt's or, you know, or uh, native. And like, maybe they were using the, a, like, um, you know, a more holistic brand at their local uh, health food store. Um, so understanding that those are our customers where they're already understanding that um, high quality products come at uh, an upcharge because if it, if it didn't, then everything would be high quality. And like, you know, so, you know, it, 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 you do have to pay for quality. And I think that by understanding who our customers are, we're able to more efficiently target them, which is just so important now, you know? Um, so yeah. I think it's, it's not really trying to boil the ocean, but really understanding like who's our, who's our customer and how do we speak to them? Yeah. We ran into that same problem and had the same realization naturally is that we're not going to go after people who are buying these lower price items because um, they they can't buy anything else. It's like we're going after people who buy it because they haven't found a better version of it that they're willing to pay for. We're not going after people who are buying it out of necessity. We're just going after people who are looking for it and they have appreciate the premium quality of things in other categories too. Um, you know, taking myself for an example, um, I used to buy um, underwear like, 20 pack Fruit of the Loom from Walmart as a kid growing up. And I thought that was all I'm going to do. And then I bought like these $30 pair of underwear. I'm like, whoa, they are really, really good. And then right. like you start buying it and you start appreciating, but there's going to be a subset of people who just don't care for that. And that's okay. You can't 
you can't grab them. You literally just can't. And that's the thing. And there's nothing obviously wrong with being on a budget. There's nothing wrong with getting the $3 toothpaste. Like there's, that is absolutely like I've been there. We've all, you know, we've all been at that point and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just our customer is the one who is like, you know what, I'm going to, I, I, I want to prioritize these certain things in my life, sustainability, clean ingredients, you know, supporting small businesses. And I'm willing to, you know, they're not even necessarily like, you know, rich or anything. They're just, they want to make those choices and they're willing to make that, um, that room in their budget to make that work. And so I think, you know, we all have different ways that we want to spend money and, and, you know, support businesses and, and, you know, buy things. And so I think for us, it's just understanding, like, these are the characteristics of someone who is a a good customer for us. And so this is who we're going to go for. The prioritization point that you just made is actually a really good point because it's true. Like it's not that people don't want to buy. It's just they have different priorities. For me, I'm fine with eating $5 bento boxes or going to like Chipotle and grab like a $9 bowl. I don't really care to go to Novo. I don't really care to go fine dining. I'm perfectly fine with it. But I will need like a good pair of shoes. I will I will splurge on like a hundred dollar fifty shoes uh, rather than like a sixty dollar pair of shoes. Like different people have different priorities and they will allow their budget to go for it. I never really thought of it that way. So you bring it up was like, okay, that that's like a different way for me to think about how to get my customers now. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So there's all, there's so many different, it's really interesting when you start kind of thinking of like the psychology of why, why people make the choices that they make and why they support the brands they support. And I think that, you know, especially when you're mission driven, it's, um, it's really important to be able to uh, like align and understand, you know, that not everybody, just because we're a premium product, it doesn't mean that all of our, you know, uh, customers are just these like high income, you know, like, uh, single people living on their own, you know, with a bunch of disposable income. No, you know, a lot of them are actually making the choice to, you know, okay, so I'm going to eat, I'm going to eat in more nights so I can afford high quality skincare products. I can afford high quality oral care products that are sustainable. And so it really is understanding kind of, um, the all different kind of facets of, of your customer and, and how they could end up, uh, supporting your brand. I love that. That's a point that I want to like expand into later on. I'll probably do like a whole thread on you just because of how much I love that point. That's that's a realization that I feel like a lot of brand owners don't make because, you know, for most time you see people not buy from you. And you're like, why would you not buy from you? Of course, like my stuff is better. Well, sometimes it's just not within their priorities. Some people are mm-hmm. perfectly happy with $6 mascara. They don't need to spend $40 on it. And that's totally okay. It's nothing on them. It's just not within their priorities. So I love that. That's that's a point that I want to dig in deeper. Uh, the last question that I have for you before we wrap up is what is that one thing that really changed the trajectory of your business? Was it a news article? Was it like something clicked in your paid ads? Was it wholesale deals? What was that one thing that clicked? So for us, it was hands down, um, you know, our, our business was launched from a viral video on Facebook. So I had done $6,000 in sales before this video had gone viral within the first few hours it went up, it was $200,000 in sales. And that's really what just launched the company. Yeah. And it's been the reason that we've been able to be bootstrapped. It's been the reason we've been able to kind of just build on top of that. Um, luckily I had my Facebook pixel set up when that happened, you know, and we were able to kind of just grow. So, um, um, that was definitely the the 
trigger uh, for the whole business. And I would say, you know, that was back in 2018 when Facebook was Facebook video video was king, you know, king or queen, which however you want to say it. But it was like it was the one. And I think now, you know, when I look at the opportunity that's out there for video, viral video, and you know, Jason, your backgrounds in, in, vir- in virality as well. You know, I just think there's so much opportunity in TikTok and there's so much opportunity uh, in social in general that that's, you know, that's kind of the way our business had launched. And that was the, the game changing moment for us. Yeah. And, and you're right about like visualizing, like showing people what a billion tooth, toothpaste tubes looks like or what, you know, six Empire State buildings look like. It's very, very important for people to understand exactly what it is, because, you know, the challenge of DDC is that people don't feel your product. They don't see it. Um, and it's kind of hard to communicate what you are and who you are without good videos to show for it. And, and you're totally right on TikTok. TikTok's algorithm is, in my opinion, unparalleled. I've been in show show for eight, nine years now. There is no other platform on earth that will allow you to have thousands of views when you have zero followers. Like I, I started a TikTok account two weeks ago, a personal one, zero followers, launched a video. I got 60,000 views. That is impossible on any other platform. And I've told brands to jump on it. Like go out there, tell your story, right? Show, show, show your mission. Tell people why they should, why should they should have this in their life and, and watch it grow. And it's a consistency thing. It's a thing about showing behind the scene for your brand. But, you know, even with one channel collapse, like video on Facebook was one thing, but it will always change because people don't stop going on their phone. They just change the medium in which they consume. That's really it. You have to adapt or else you do fall behind, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Adapt or die. You know, you have to just, you have to constantly be going and constantly be um, looking for what's next. And I think that that's something as a smaller brand, you know, there's a lot of disadvantages that we have, right? We don't, maybe don't have the the unlimited capital and the unlimited access to these things that these other big brands, but we are nimble and we can, you know, jump on these types of opportunities and really learn them really fast and, and figure out how to test and iterate. And I think that that's something that, you know, we take very seriously at Bite. Uh, we see as a huge advantage. And I think any kind of small brand um, to just constantly just, you know, instead of being like, oh, another new platform that I have to figure out, it's more like, whoa, there's a new platform. Let's figure this out, you know, and kind of get on there before the big guys do and uh, and really kind of figure out how to how to work it. So, yeah, at the end of the day, it really comes down to the attention economy, like people's eyeballs. It's very valuable. That's why platforms pay or charge so much for CPM, like for a thousand views. Like the way that you have to think about it as a marketer, in my opinion, is that channels don't die with the business or business don't die with the channel is that business die when they are stuck on one channel because people like the, the amount of people that watch content online actually grows over time, but they move like this, like they'll grow and they'll ship in faces. So you had, you know, blog posts and then you had long form videos on YouTube and then you have Facebook videos and then you see them getting shorter content, but the people that are watching them actually are growing because that's naturally how our population has been growing, the adaption of technology and the adaption of people's consuming content. But you have to follow where the eyeballs are. You can't just get stuck on one platform. Um, And I've seen so many businesses fail because they were so dependent on Facebook without exploring all these new channels, Pinterest, Snapchat, you know, um, you know, YouTube ads, and they just let their business die with it because they just accepted defeat. You can't do that. 
Yeah, 100%. I totally agree. I think it's, um, and honestly, I think, you know, it's diversity is necessary for a healthy business. You know what I'm saying? Like none of us should be only on one thing. And then, you know, and it, I think that, you know, especially kind of what's happening recently with iOS 14 and all the changes, I think that we're all just going to have way stronger businesses after the ones who figure it out and really make it through this are going to have a way stronger business because you don't have 90% of your, you know, paid ads going through one platform. You know, everyone's, everyone's on everything else. You know, for us, it's like testing podcasts, it's testing connected TV, it's testing, you know, Pinterest, uh, YouTube, you know, yeah. everything and kind right. of really gathering that data, synthesizing it and figuring it out. But I think your point of following the eyeballs is like, is just exactly is exactly on point. Thank you, thank you. And one last thing, and to look back at your old self when you first started that business, when you first make that six thousand uh, dollar, and 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 by what would be the one advice that you know now that you will tell your old self that would have changed the trajectory, like would have made you grow a lot faster, a lot bigger? What's that one thing? Oh, that's <laughs> a really good question. <laughs> Um, you know, I think something that we had to learn, which is actually really counterintuitive to other businesses, probably, uh, especially venture backed, is I think there is such a thing as too scrappy. Uh, and I think, you know, at the very beginning, especially because we were like really learning and trying to we just kind of were on this like rocket ship, but we also didn't know what was going to happen. We had no historical data. You know, it was building these financial models was incredibly complicated because we had no, no historical data. Right? right. So I think that we were very, very lean um, to the point where I would have said, you know, probably like expand out a little bit more in terms of team, <laughs> you know, like let's not like get completely burnt out and think you have to do it all yourself, you know, or like with, you know, like the smallest possible team you possibly can. Um, yeah. For, for us, I would say back then it would have been like, and I don't know if it would have, you know, exponentially grown the business or anything like that. But I think that like my mental health would have been better. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like so I would have been able to sleep, you know? So, so yeah, important. I think. Oh, sorry. People don't talk about burnouts as founders. And uh, that's a whole different episode we, we can circle back on. But I, I think hiring early on, scra be scrappy with hiring too. That, that's okay. Like hire a VA if you need to be on a budget, hire a freelancer, an agency, and then a full-time or part-time employee. That's okay. I did the same thing. That's actually the same advice I would have gave myself when I got asked that question. That's why I asked everyone else I talk to now is because when you hire people, you're able to remove yourself from the day-to-day -day stuff and you start building out the roads. The way that I help people visualize this whole thing is when you're a founder working on your business, you're building the road inch by inch. When you're able to take a step back, you're able to build feet by feet. When you're able to take two steps back, you're able to build a bridge. And that ultimately helps you figure out how do you, how do you grow faster? How do you drive faster? Is there a shortcut to do certain things? But you cannot do any of those things if you're always in the day to day, customer support, operations, supply chain, like these are the things that follow a lot of frameworks that you could train someone else to. Marketing may be a little bit harder to train, but there are things that if you can build a framework or an SOP, hire that out. You do not need to be answering emails for four or five hours a day. You know, like there's some things that you could just remove yourself from. Mm -hmm. I, I love that. I love that. And I think it's, yeah, the, the inch by inch, that whole visually talking about being able to hit a point home with the visualization, I think with the road is exactly it. And I, that would have been person. great for me. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been like super I, yeah. I, like I have trouble understanding concepts. So for me, I like to visualize it. And that's always been like that one thing that I'm able to communicate to all the other founders. And like, look, I know you're working right now. I know you love what you do. 
But if you don't take a step back, you will burn out. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And Lindsay, we're at time now. So let us know where we can find you, where we can find Bite, and hopefully we can sell a couple tooth toothpastes for you. <laughs> love that. Love it. So we are trybite.com. Uh, and I guess a little bit about our product. We have a, it's like a toothpaste tablet and it's in a re- refillable glass jar. Uh, we make plastic-free personal care across the board. And uh, yeah, trybite.com, bite on Instagram, uh, bite toothpaste on Twitter. And uh, my uh, Instagram is hey Lindsay Mick. So if you ever want to see anything, I'm going to end my, I believe my TikTok's the same. Uh, and I post things about uh, sustainability on both. So, yeah, but uh, yeah, we have a lot of information on there. Thank you. Thank you. We'll see you around soon. Hopefully we can talk about all those topics that we want to jam out about next time. All right. I love it. And so good to see you again, Jason. Thank you. Bye bye. You just heard an episode of the Building Blocks podcast. If you like what you heard, subscribe below to keep hearing conversations that I have with brilliant marketers, founders, and innovators on how they built their best ideas. Now, if you want to learn how you can turn your best ideas and build something massive out of it, visit my website, bbclass.co, or follow my Twitter, at agro. 